the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You can go to the dictionary and get a definition of the word love. But what about a description? Ah, with that, we'll travel to John chapter 13 next. Join us. Water. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Oh, that's the definition. But what about the description? Oh, especially if you're sitting on the beach at sunset, right? There is a big difference between definitions and descriptions, and today we've got the description of love. It's found in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It's there that we catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, for today's broadcast of Truth For Today, as we take a look at the description of love. Here's Pastor Phil. A new command I give you. The old command had been love your neighbor as yourself. He's going to make a different measuring standard for how to love. He said, love one another. If we ask how, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples But none of my family know that I am. Maybe you haven't done the if. If. There's a condition. If they don't know you're a believer, they've not yet seen the love of God demonstrated. Because he puts a condition. Love one another. Men will know unmistakably. Even an unsaved world. He's not saying the spiritual will know. He's not saying the, the abiding will know. He says, even an unsaved watching world will know. Empirical evidence, observable evidence, will make them to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love must take concrete manifestation. It must go out where you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. They'll figure out who we're following, Jesus said, by when we love like he loved. And so that identity is what he wants to give to us. We want to look today on a further clarification, a description of love. And Paul gives it in that classic chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, of what love acts like. He never gives us a definition of love. He gives us a description of love. And he picked 15 verbs in the Greek language to describe what love looks like. You see, we don't need to worry about definition on everything. If I told you that I gave my wife a crystalline crystalline carbon for an engagement, you'd say, well, great, what's that? I said, if I gave her a diamond ring, you'd say, oh, I know what that is. Without you even knowing the mineral, I couldn't define the mineral. I just said, it's a diamond. The definition of it, by a mineral definition, is crystalline carbon. But you can define love all kinds of ways. But today it's the most ambiguous of terms. 
I love peanut butter. And I love you, mother. And I love you, wife. Well, is the same meaning found in every word? Listen to what Richard Wormbrand said. The language of love and the language of seduction are the same. The one who wishes a girl for a wife and the one who wishes her for the night in order to throw her away afterwards both say, I love you. Jesus told us to distinguish the language of seduction from the language of love and to tell the wolves clad in sheepskin from the real sheep. I love you, baby. Sleep with me tonight. If I get you pregnant, you may never see me again, but I love you for the moment. Versus a man ministering to a wife that has Alzheimer's disease and says, I'll never forsake you. Who loves? First Corinthians will describe this love. Let's go to it. First Corinthians 13. Paul is writing to a church that's rather puffed up with their spirituality. They have spiritual gifts and they think they're a red hot church. And Paul's going to write to them, you've got a lot of things going that are good, but something's missing and it's love. And in the first three verses of chapter 13, he talks about love is preeminent. If you don't do anything else in life but love, you will have done something right. It's the most important thing to do. Listen to what he says. If we act without love, what it amounts to. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm noisy, but I'm not harmonious. And a lot in the Corinthian church were making a lot of noise. They couldn't get them to shut up in the meeting. They were talking in tongues in the meeting. They were bringing disorder. They had prophets. They had interpretation. They had some authentic spiritual gifts going among them. Nothing wrong with the gifts. But they weren't being used in love. And he says, you're loud and you're noisy, but you're not loving. Unless it's done in love, it will not have a good effect on what we, those who hear. He moves on to say, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, I, I remember the crowd, knowledge would settle everything. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You can get around some believers that knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. They know mysteries nobody's figured out from Augustine to Calvin. It could be the most unloving people who beat you to death with their knowledge. Have you ever been beat up with knowledge? That the man's increased knowledge was used as a club to make you know you better straighten out. He said, if I have all these gifts but I don't use them in love. He said, I am zero. I count for nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And that is incomprehensible to me that you can voluntarily die a martyr's death in the flames and not be motivated by love. 
But Paul raised the possibility. Look at what I'm doing for all these people. Look at the sacrifices I'm making. I'm giving up this. I'm giving up that. Are you doing it out of love? No, I'm disgusted, but I'm doing it. I'm teaching all these brats for Jesus. I'm pouring out all my life on these kids and the nursery. And, uh, and, uh, you're doing the activity, but failing at the motivation level. And can't you see that in people who keep up the same routines, many times starting out with the right motive, with the right intent, want to serve the Lord, want to get involved, and somewhere along the line, the duties remain the same and the motivation evaporates. And so you just kind of... Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it for Jesus. Motivation is more important than what you do. Why you do it is more important than what you do. I'd rather do a few things from the right motivation than a whole lot of things with the wrong motivation. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, a barn full of works is going to be measured by one test. I'm going to judge your motive and see why you did it. And all of a sudden, a barn full of hay and straw and wood is going to be put to the fire. And Paul says it's just going to be reduced. And all of a sudden, there's just going to be a few things you have in your hand that you did out of a love for God and a love for people. That's what he's going to reward you for. Not all this stuff you did. But the stuff you did out of love. The things you did for the right reasons. Now, he's going to begin in verse 4 through 8 to tell us how love acts. And he uses these verbs. Love is an action. Love isn't just gooey sentimentality. It's not just warm fuzzies. It does act. It acts a certain way. So, let us begin the journey to find out what this love really looks like. Dwight L. Moody told uh, Christian workers in his day, you ought to read 1 Corinthians 13 once every week just to measure your heart, just to measure why am I doing what I'm doing. What does love look like? Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, some have suggested that you could put Jesus' name every place there's love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. And that is true. The only problem is he's not describing Jesus. He's telling believers how they ought to act. Let's just drop it and do it this way. Let's put selfishness in there. Selfishness is not patient. Selfishness is not kind. Selfishness does envy. Selfishness does boast. 
Selfishness is proud. Selfishness is rude. And on and on. But let's try it this way. Isn't the goal of our lives to be able to put our name every place the word love is? So that for your epitaph, we could put on there, John Doe is patient. While all your kids fall over on the grass in hilarious laughter. (laughs) Because let me tell you, we're the most impatient with those we love the most. We're so nice to people we don't even know. First impressions. We go home to be a bear. You got to act nice out there because you're making an impression. It might be a good deal. You go home to really vent. Because they're strong enough, it won't bother them if you're impatient. Let's put it this way. Carolyn, please restrain any comments or laughter. (laughs) Phil Howard is patient. (laughs) I am not at all. Only by the grace of God. But I have withstood a dog for seven months. Thanks, Matt, for taking it away. I was about ready to send it to dog heaven myself. With love. (laughs) Phil Howard, your name. It's too convenient. Let's get Rollins, man. Rollins is patient. I feel better already. (laughs) Rollins is kind. And he's amening it. (laughs) Rollins, oh, let's stop. You know, you get the idea. We ought to be able to get where we put our name there. That's what he's saying. Not trying to describe Christ. He's trying to describe what a believer who's acting out of love looks like. Now, what is it to be patient? Let me give you the definition. It means to be long-suffering, a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to passion, usually anger. So we say it's not a short fuse, a long fuse. The steadfast spirit which never gives up. Uh, It takes a long time to boil up into anger. Ability to withstand maltreatment for a long time. The ability to stick with a difficult person a long time. Because this word is the word that deals with people. Sometimes you remain under a circumstance you have no choice over. I mean, you're under it. You can growl, that's for sure. And there is an attitude of remaining, enduring, staying under. But this is a word of attitude towards people. Love is patient with people. It it doesn't write them off quickly. It doesn't seek to be angry with them or to get revenge with them. Uh, It's the very same thing our God says. God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Do you not know that the kindness and the long-suffering of God leads you to repentance? It's not God's threats that is as hard on us as His beseeching love. Please come. How long did He wait on you before you came? How long has God been trying to teach a lot of us just to have patience? Some lessons he's been drilling on us for 20 to 25 years. How many times has he forgiven you for the same, same sin? I was working with a preacher friend of mine that had some rentals and 
we were, he would work me for him and I'd help paint them and whatever. And, but I was green as grass. I didn't know anything uh, about what to do in construction. He's just being nice. It's kind of like those people from Oklahoma as they came into California. They saw that sign, help keep California green. And the one guy says, well, what does that mean? He says, don't tell him anything. And I was green. Just don't tell him anything. We were working in this attic. And we're going to do some work up there, and we're going along. And, you know, in the attic, you've got these two-bys or these beams going across. Well, Bozo, me, I, I don't know, I don't pay attention, whatever. All of a sudden, I just want to step in between. <laughs> do you get the picture? There's sheetrock there, not made to hold a 150-pound guy. So I went through and said, oops, oh. My preacher friend says, well, you got a day's worth of work at your expense. And so I had to do that. Well, I worked in the attic with him some more. I hit my head nearly three times in one day. I said, boom, boom. And one day he says, the beam's not going to move. <laughs> Figure it out, son. The beam's not going to move. You're going to learn to duck. I'm not rebuilding the house because you want to go higher with your head. How many times has God let you keep hitting your head, hitting your head, hitting your head? When will we get it? God is a patient teacher. This week, Carolyn and I observed a, a woman teaching children to ride horses. And my, the patience. I wanted to jump on the horse. She's so nice to the kids. I wanted her to talk to me that way. Man, she was affirmative, encouraging, and nothing was too basic for her to share. I think of piano teachers. Just think if you were a concert pianist and had the skill of some of our own musicians and then to stoop all the way down here with a seven-year-old that has to learn what face means. Have to find out every good boy does deserve fudge. You know, I mean, come on, all the way to these basics. Love is patient. It can hold out a long time. It's not quick to give up on people. And aren't you thankful for the people that haven't given up on you? And for the God that's never given up on you. He says love is kind. This word kind means to be useful, uh, to be kind. To be graciously disposed towards others. But the root idea is to the kindness that will do useful things for another. It doesn't always mean that you won't say the difficult thing. There may be correction in your kindness. There may be the pointing out of a fault. Uh, it's not soft love. It's a love that will have the courage to even say the hard thing that no one is saying to you. Uh, so many of us, we all live with blind spots. Uh, we all view ourselves as having it all together, and we don't know how we're perceived. And it's only those people that we allow to be mirrors in our life. Uh, a trusted friend, a trusted companion, uh, the Word of God can reflect what we're putting out. And if we're coming across negative, if we're coming across critical, irritable, a loving person could be kind enough to say, are you aware you're coming across this way? You're acting this way. I refer early in this church 
People came in all kinds of dress. We dressed better than we ever dressed. We're, we're actually looking classy. But we used to just cry if they wore shoes or anything besides Levi's. When I first started this church, unless you had a church background, all the kids wore Levi's and, you know, thongs and what. It didn't dress, just didn't matter. 60s winding down. And some of them had not discovered deodorant. You know, it was the era of the mama and the papas. And uh, it seemed like uh, stench was in. And this one guy got saved and started coming to the church and, you know, uh, was aspiring to be a leader, to be a Bible teacher. And I just noticed it became a lot of, a, a little lighthearted joke on the side. People said, man, he's a wonderful brother, but does he take a bath? I decided I wouldn't talk about him, but I'd be kind to him. And I took him aside and I said, have you ever heard of deodorant? And it's almost like he hadn't. Oh, yeah. I said, you know what? That's distracting to your person. You ought to buy some. This is what I use. It's great. Was that kind? Or was that mean? To be mean to him would be to talk about him. To be mean to him was to let him have something that was distracting and never tell him. Love is kind. It's not just the gentle touch. That's there for sure. But sometimes it has to say something difficult. This is frank. I don't mean to be vulgar. I don't mean to be rude at all. But men, if my pants are unzipped, tell me before I get in the pulpit. (laughs) My mother was always checking my dad. I mean, he just forgets socks would go crazy and she'd check him out before he went to church. I mean, what if Jesus said, I'm too kind to tell him this. You're not being kind at all. And don't run up here while I'm in the pulpit to correct the problem. Be kind in the foyer. There is a time and place to be kind, to make the correction. It means to be useful. Love is useful. And I see some of you, their love breaks out in so many ways. Uh, our resident computer fixer-upper seems to be rich. And, and part, it's one thing to fix it. It's another thing the way you do it. Attitude. People that are glad to do it. People that are willing to do it. That's kindness. He goes on to talk about this love. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Envy literally means to feel ill will towards another's advantage. Uh, a desire to have their position, their possessions, their place in life, and you can't enjoy them having it because you don't have it. And so you can't be a, a soulmate. That's why people usually associate with other people based on economic level. You just watch that. Just because someone who has resources and money doesn't want to stumble someone that doesn't so that every time they buy something nice this person over here is stumbled that they can spend money that they can't spend and so you'll find people will run if you're broke you like to run with folks that are broke it feels a little bit easier at least you're in the same condition and I've seen that people stratify by resources what they can do because you want to find a level of comfort 
where there's not this comparison and this envious jealousy dynamic that is a killer of the soul. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spending God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone, and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ, and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and while he is no longer in the pulpit, we are still very much a part of this church body. And we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the 